Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode six of Becoming. I'm Katherine Tang, and for this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking to Katherine Hong. Katherine is deeply passionate about atrial fibrillation, which is when your heart beats irregularly, and she is also the founder of the Girl System Mentorship Program. Listen in as Katherine and I talk about the truth behind research, the process of growing an organization, and the wisdom she's gleaned from Lady Gaga. All right, so Catherine, I'm really excited to uh, talk with you today. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so maybe before we actually jump into things, could you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about what you're up to these days? Yes, for sure. So my name is Catherine, and I um, am 23 years old. I did my undergraduate studies in life sciences at Queen's University, and I continue to do my master's in biomedical and molecular sciences, also at Queen's University. I just defended my master's back in December and successfully completed my master's. So now I'm working as a clinical researcher at Sunnybrook Hospital in Toronto and hopefully ramping up to start medical school in September. I always start this podcast just asking people to think back to when they were younger. Um, So if you think back to maybe when you were like early elementary, um, who did you want to be when you grew up? That's a really, really great question. And that's something that I always ask young girls because I'm always curious to hear what they're going to say. And weirdly, I think they have a much better idea than I ever did when I was younger. I toyed with the idea of being a lawyer. Um, and then I toyed with the idea of being a journalist because I loved writing. And to this day, I still love writing. But um, after a long journey, which started probably at the end of my high school years, I was determined and absolutely sure that I wanted to pursue medicine. And I haven't looked back since. I think that it's my true passion um, and my true calling. And I think that I've sort of shaped my academic career and my decisions to reflect that. When I was growing up, I also wanted to be a lawyer. I didn't want to be a journalist, but <laughs> I, I used to watch a lot of um, Judge Judy on TV. Oh, yes. And then I was like, oh, I want to be a judge. And then my sister, <laughs> she actually said, um, Catherine, I think you actually have to be a lawyer before you become a judge. And so I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'll be a lawyer. I think a lot of kids have a range of things that they're interested in. Definitely. And I think a lot of times too, TV shows and social media, sometimes they make it seem, actually, I can, I can say now being immersed in medicine and seeing the pros and the cons. I think that a lot of roles in TV and social media sometimes are glamorized. Um, and that's what exactly what you said. It's what we strive to be is what we see and what we think we can do. But the more opportunities and career paths that students are really exposed to that early on, I think helps them determine um, what they truly want to be and not just the traditional roles. Catherine and I talked for a little while about what elementary school and high school was like for her, and I knew that she did a co-op in grade 11, which really set her on a path towards medicine. So I wanted to know a little bit more about that. Students in high school get matched to their field of interest or a placement in their field of interest, um, and they actually get to do some work in that uh, desired workplace for academic credit. So... um, 
knowing that I was sort of toying with the idea of being a lawyer again and medicine, I decided to um, ask for a placement in healthcare. And I was placed to cardiology research at St. Michael's Hospital, which was totally overwhelming. Um, I knew that I always liked biology and chemistry and all the sciences, but hearing cardiology research was just so overwhelming for me at 16 years old. I was a bit scared, honestly, to embark on it, but it ended up being an amazing um, opportunity. St. Michael's happens to be a teaching hospital. So for high school students, they actually brought us all around the hospital. Um, We had certain days where we were allowed to go into certain facilities like the morgue, which is where they keep all the deceased bodies. Um, And we were also brought into the vivarium, which is where they keep all the animals. Uh, We were shown the patient simulation center, which was also very interesting. And then in as part of my own placement, I actually got to go into the laboratory. Uh, They call it the cath lab. And I saw my first surgical procedure. So all of that was totally unknown to me. I thought I would be helping out with paperwork and filing, which I did do a bit of that. But the real merit in the program was getting that firsthand look into medicine, seeing if this is really what I wanted to do one day. And then finally being in front of all those doctors and nurses and techs inside the lab and seeing the procedure happening right before my eyes. So that was just truly amazing. And so you had mentioned a few times um, how it was, you know, very overwhelming for you as a 16 year old. And so how did, um, how did you deal with all of that? So I think having a lot of support around me, um, especially from my direct supervisor and um, all the colleagues of the department, I think that was really nice not to be looked down as or disregarded, but actually Mm -hmm. to be guided through um, the clinic, be introduced to patients, um, really feel like I was part of the team. That was definitely a huge part of it. And the second thing was doing my own research and going home and, you know, scouring the internet for anything I found related to atrial fibrillation. And this was as simple as going on Google and literally typing, you know, what is atrial fibrillation and seeing what came back. Um, Doing that sort of empowered me with more knowledge. The more that I felt empowered with knowledge, the more confident I felt As you can probably guess, this was only the beginning of what has become a deep passion and love of Catherine's for atrial fibrillation. Every year after my co-op placement, I actually got employed as a summer student at St. Michael's in the same department. So I was living and breathing atrial fibrillation research. Um, Every single summer, I would return to it and I would just fall deeper and deeper into the field and I just became so completely encapsulated by it that um, I just continued to research it. Um, And then in my second last year of university, my mentor at St. Michael's had mentored who would become my supervisor. So it was a very small world, um, but I eventually ended up with my supervisor in a volunteer position. And then he eventually became my master supervisor. So I was really just too deep in the field. um, And I loved every minute of it. So your mentor at St. Mike's had also mentored who was then your master's supervisor? Yes. So that's how I initially got introduced to him. Yeah. So, um, and you were still in touch with your mentor from St. Mike's? Yes. Yes, I am. Oh, because you have been a summer student. Yes, exactly. What's something that people don't realize about research that you think they should know? 
That's a really, really good question. Um, and I think that also ties in to what do people don't realize about medicine um, that they think mm. that I think they should know. So with research, I think that initially nobody really knows that it's very, very unpredictable. It can be very frustrating at times um, because essentially you have an idea and there's nobody besides you and your team really validating your idea. But you yourself think it's a really, really great idea and you invest all this time and energy into researching it and, and running experiments. And then at the end of it, you apply hopefully for publication or additional funding. And those outcomes sometimes can be very frustrating because it may not work out in your favor. Um, so after a lot of time and energy spent, it may not pan out the way you want it to work. So research, I think, as a whole is extremely rewarding. You're making, you know, even though it, you can't see it initially, you are making a direct impact on other people's lives. You're contributing to a field um, through numbers, through data. And that's just something we, we can't advance as a field or as a society if we don't have good data, because we don't know how to make the next treatments for um, certain medical illnesses, or we don't know how to make technology uh, to to cure certain illnesses as well. So I think that's how you develop as a field in any field is, is research. You need really good research. You need people running research and you need really good results. Um, and then likewise in medicine, I think that again, it can be very glamorized. Sometimes we think that doctors, it's, um, often compared to Grey's Anatomy, you know, <laughs> doctors are, are relaxed. They're waltzing around, waltzing through the corridors and, and, you know, they're, they're excited to, I don't know what I, I've actually never fully watched Grey's Anatomy, but it seems just very, um, dramatic sometimes. And medicine is, yes, it can be dramatic and exciting and, and climatic in, in a lot of cases, but also there's a lot of hard work. Um, you need a lot of resilience to, to get through long hours. And it's the same with research. It can be very, very long and exhausting. Um, and I think the most important thing in both fields is really just to stay resilient, stay uh, true to yourself and authentic, and also just persevere when there are difficult times, because there are a lot of difficult times in both fields. Um, and it's just important to, to get through those. And I know, um, having had a number of my friends go through med school, I was shocked with the amount of reading that they do. Like they're, you know, when they're not doing their, their work for school, they're reading up and trying to keep current with all of the research. And I, I think I never realized that, um, that it's, it's it's all consuming. You always have to be updating. Definitely, and I know doctors too. They um, and I've I've tried to get on that um, that bandwagon of listening to podcasts where there are literally summarized versions of papers. Um, <laughs> so I think New England Journal has one. It has a great podcast, um, and basically, as you said, they're just trying to stay up to date, but they're also just trying to deliver their patients the best treatment possible. And if there are any changes or breakthroughs in certain, um, the way that certain medical treatments are delivered, they need to be updated. So they're sure that they're giving their patients the best treatment possible. Um, because of course, at the end of the day, it, it comes down to the patient's well-being. So while Catherine was at Queen's, she started the Girls System Mentorship Program, and I wanted to hear how her earlier experiences affected this decision. 
cardiology traditionally is a very male-dominated field. I'm kind of looking around thinking, where are the other females? Where are, you know, where are the female role models to look up to? And there were undoubtedly a lot of men. I, I think in a department of 25 cardiologists, there were only two females. So again, seeing that at 16 and faced with a lot of self-doubt already, it was a bit discouraging because I wanted that direct role model. If you can see it, you can be it and you strive to be exactly that. And so it was a bit uh, a bit challenging. Um, and again, that hasn't really changed over the years. It's not really institution specific. And I feel that there is definitely disparities in gender when it comes to cardiology. But again, empowering yourself with the right mentors, with the right supportive environment, and with the knowledge um, definitely puts you in a better place. So what is the Girl Assistant Mentorship Program? The Girl Assistant Mentorship Program is a program that I founded back in April of last year. Um, it had been an idea that I had had for a while, but never really had the tools to execute it or to bring it to fruition. Um, and then I came across an NSERC grant, which is essentially a government grant. They issue these for um, a lot of STEM-related initiatives, but also for a lot of engineering projects that really focus on engineering and technology. So I came across this grant. It seemed perfectly in line um, with my idea, and it would help me jumpstart it. I got $1,000 from NSERC, and that's pretty much how it started. It was it was me and an ambitious idea and $1,000. And, um, and then within two months of receiving the grant, it was mandated that I actually ran an entire event. So a large scale community event, whatever that meant. I had this vision again, um, going with the mentorship theme of having a diverse panel of speakers in a variety of STEM fields. So that was pretty much the focus of that event was showcasing all the possibilities that exist in STEM fields, but also in the same way, um, giving young girls and and there were a few boys as well who attended that firsthand look into STEM. So we had learning opportunities, we had hands-on demonstrations, we had interactive workshops that introduced them to coding um, and different programs so they could build web pages and animate certain pictures. So it was that whole philosophy of exposure and awareness, um, but also giving them the opportunity to take risks. And I think that's the most important because a lot of the time society convinces us that girls are supposed to be perfect and not take risks and be, you know, um, very calculated in the way that they approach life. And there was a study that I read recently, actually, that showed that the number of boys um, is way higher when they look at students who will raise their hand before the teacher even finishes their question. Mm -hmm. um, and the boys will the boys will just shoot their hands up immediately, even if the, if they're completely wrong, even if they're totally off subject, they're just, they're just very intuitive. Um, so I think it's really important that we do have environments like this that cultivate experimentation and cultivate awareness. Um, so that, again, is one of the tenets of the Girl System Mentorship Program, and especially seeing how important and how impactful mentorship was to me specifically, especially being in, like I said, a traditionally male-dominated field. It was really my, um, my mission 
to give the same experiences that I had through my co-op and all the way up to my university years to young girls. And I think that it's the most important that we intervene really early when it's elementary and high school, because research has actually shown that these are the years that even though there aren't differences in girls' and boys' academic abilities when it comes to these fields, they are starting to form ideas that, okay, um, you know, I see a lot of males in, in uh, male doctors, or I see a lot of male engineers, and it's about really debunking those stereotypes and showing them that, no, STEM is all-inclusive. Um, there are so many opportunities to pursue, and there's a whole endless world of possibilities waiting you. And so tell me a little bit more about these mentors. Are these one-on-one mentorships? Like, how does it work? Yeah, so these mentors are professionals um, in STEM fields. And um, the way that mentors and mentees are matched is they fill out an online application that can be found on our website. And we match mentors and mentees based not only on academic interests or field of interest, but we also match them on personal goals and personal interests as well. And then obviously, um, also on availability, so when they're uh, most free, but also whether the mentors prefer one-on-one or group mentorship. We really, really enforce um, in-person mentorship as opposed to e-mentorship. I've seen a lot of online platforms. They connect professionals or even recent grads or upper-year students with elementary and high school girls. E-mentorship, I believe, is only effective to a certain point. I think there are a lot of online forums that are supportive and and they have... um, they have answers. Uh, they have questions answered, but I think that only goes so far. What we really need is in-person mentorship, where somebody is there in plain sight to show these young girls, "This is what you can be." Let me bring you into my workplace. Let me show you what I do on a daily basis. Let me be your soundboard for your questions, for your apprehensions, for for every. Um, transitional stage in your academic career, let me be that person for you. And so just um, for those people who don't know, what sort of fields would you say is encompassed by STEM? Yeah, so STEM is, it's it traditionally stands for science, technology, engineering, and math. And they're also adding an extra M sometimes now to mean medicine. And then they also sometimes add an A between the E and the M to be arts. So STEM right now is, it, it's evolved. And it originally started as just those four disciplines, but now it spans across so many disciplines, including the arts by showing that there is that intersectionality, that also that overlap between different fields and different disciplines, it shows them that, okay, even if I'm interested in dance, for example, there are so many components of dance that stem from the way that our bodies moves with science or physics. Um, there, you know, our movements are calculated. There, there is that overlap between different disciplines. Hmm. And so I guess um, I'm curious, what's been the hardest thing about building this program? Um, (laughs) There have been a lot of difficult um, moments, probably more than I want to admit. Um, (laughs) When I first started this, it was a one-man show. Um, I had this really wonderful idea that I thought would be really impactful. I had this a bit of seed funding, but I didn't really know how to put it into action. 
Um, and so that was difficult when you're implementing a grassroots initiative, literally from the ground up in any community, it's difficult. You have to survey your community. You have to understand their needs. You have to see if there's even a need for a program like this or an initiative like this. So that was step one was kind of assessing whether Kingston and the greater southeastern Ontario area would benefit from a program like this. Step two was forming a team. And I knew I couldn't do this alone. There's a lot of different components to running an organization. Um, and at the same time as trying to launch this community-wide event within two months, um, I found that I struggled to find a venue, food, catering, um, community partners. The entire panel of speakers were all individuals that I had to reach out to. And eventually, I was able to recruit two other executive members, which helped me run this entire event. So running a team is definitely not a one-man show. And I learned that very, very early on. And I think that if anybody is trying to start an organization, a team is definitely a top priority. You need people who not only support what you're doing, but share that same passion because then your team will succeed and um, you don't feel like you're forcing people to do something that they don't want to do. And then the final thing I think would be sustainability and really just setting realistic goals and deadlines for the organization. After running this this community-wide event, we were kind of stuck between, okay, when do we launch these applications? When do we start recruiting more executive members? When do we start reaching out to more community partners? There's always things to do. Um, and it, sometimes it seems a bit overwhelming because you just want to jumpstart your initiative so badly. You just want to get things running. But the initial, um, the initial start of any organization is really, really difficult. And it comes with primarily building a strong network. And that means community support, um, support from program participants, support from families, and support from your own, your very own team. So I wanted to hear a bit more about how being in Toronto affected Catherine's involvement in the program. It's been really great. Um, I have an amazing, amazing team in Kingston, and they're really great with running events and seeking out more opportunities for partnerships. And with my move to Toronto and the success of our pilot phase in Kingston, we've actually just announced our expansion into Toronto. So we're setting up our inaugural Toronto chapter, which is also very, very exciting. That's um, very exciting. Yeah. So we are trying to replicate the same model that we had in Kingston. So we are seeking professional mentors. We are also um, slowly getting into different public and private um, educational sectors to recruit more mentees. And then we want, again, a lot of community partners in order to run our monthly workshop. So we're trying to replicate the same model that worked in uh, Kingston. But of course, we have to be more cognizant of certain things that exist here that don't exist in Kingston. For example, in Toronto, it's much bigger. In Kingston, it's a bit more convenient. You know, drives can be 10 to 15 minutes and you're you're meeting up with your mentee in downtown Kingston. Um, but in Toronto, you may be in one side of the city and your mentor may be in the other side of the city. And so matching also based on geographical location is one thing to consider. So again, serving the needs of Toronto, um, there is definitely a need here for a program like that. We've we've established that, but really just trying to overcome certain geographical barriers, certain cultural barriers, and also just trying to make it as um, effective and sustainable as we had in Kingston. 
Well, I have to say you are super impressive with <laughs> your strategic thinking and just your ability to execute on all of these things. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I know you are, you said you're applying to med school next year? Uh, yes, for the upcoming September, fall start. Okay. Yeah. And so I guess looking forward, what are your hopes? My hopes are, um, my hopes are not just career focused, but I guess in the career realm, I am hoping again to get into medical school um, and to pursue my dream of getting into cardiac electrophysiology and being a cardiac electrophysiologist or being a cardiologist. Um, that is my eventual dream. And that's what I've tried to uh, shape my entire academic career and my decisions around. Um, obviously, I do acknowledge that I might try different fields and maybe fall in love with another one. But I think that medicine has always been on my radar and continues to be um, my top priority in terms of career goals. But all encompassing, I really want the program, the Girl System Mentorship Program, to succeed for years to come. I really want to increase our mentor-mentee recruitment. I think it's really, really important that initiatives like these um, and other organizations that work to empower women are brought into the light and are really supported. Um, so that is definitely one of my goals. And just uh, to continue being happy um, I know it's a bit cliche, but be happy and and try new things and maybe travel and um, just never close myself off to opportunities. And I love that you said that your hopes are not just career focused. So beyond work, what else do you spend your time on? What are some things you're interested in beyond atrial fibrillation? <laughs> Uh, so the Girl System Mentorship Program is definitely one. Um, it's a huge passion of mine, and it's something that keeps me very motivated, challenged, um, and completely passionate about something that I feel I can have a direct impact on. Um, so that's definitely what I do. Um, a bit, uh, I guess, probably not the answer you're looking for, but that is truthfully what I do. I also love to watch movies. And like I said, I, I really like traveling. And that's also a huge hobby of mine and a huge passion of mine. So um, I love especially taking photos on trips and posting my photography online and um, occasionally playing the piano as well, just to remind myself of, um, of those glory days. Do you have an upcoming trip that you've planned? Um, I'm actually off to Portugal for a conference, a cardiovascular conference within the next Amazing. week. Yeah. <laughs> so that's nice because then you get to like, you have your research, but then you get to go and present your research in all these places, but then also get a chance to explore the city. Exactly. With a little bit of time I have, but hopefully I'll get to see a bit of the city. <laughs> As we get closer to wrapping up, if you could share one piece of advice, what would it be? This is my favorite question uh, because weirdly, I feel like I've been asked that a bit more often uh, within the past few weeks or few months. But one, my biggest piece of advice is something that my mentor actually told me during my master's, but it's something that was recently echoed or paraphrased by Lady Gaga during her Oscar speech. And I thought this was so funny uh, because I do, I love Lady Gaga and A Star is Born is probably one of my favorite movies, but it's also the... Um, how genuine and sincere her statement came across and how much it resonated with me because it's something that I truly, truly believe and it's something that my mentor continuously reminds me. Um, and it was something along the lines of, it doesn't matter how many times you're beaten down or kicked down, 
Um, it just matters how many times you get back up. And um, I'm not sure if the listeners are familiar with Lady Gaga, but she also went through a lot of difficulty of being told that her looks weren't exactly what Hollywood sought out, sought after. Um, she dated other other men who told her that she would never be famous or never be successful. So she was told most of her life that she wouldn't be able to accomplish her dreams or pursue her dreams or even be anything close to what she strived to be. Um, and in STEM, um, across all STEM fields, and, and especially in medicine, it's very easy to be discouraged, especially in a field that may be more dominated by men, but also just the overall nature of the profession. It's very competitive. I think we all know that it's that it sometimes can be discouraging. And I think um, just that question about, you know, what's something that people don't realize about research or medicine is that it can be exhausting and it, and mental health is so important. So it doesn't really matter how many times you, you get knocked down because people will continue to tell you no, um, rejections will come left, right and center, unfortunately, but it's never a smooth sail. And if it's something that you're truly, truly passionate about, something that you really, really want and something that you know will make you happy and make you feel fulfilled. Um, I think that's the most important and that you should keep fighting for whatever that is. Last thing, I guess, how can people connect with you or learn more about the program? Yeah, so we are always welcoming um, new members to join our network, whether that be in the capacity of a mentor, a mentee, or just an executive member, or if you just want to help out and learn more about the organization. Uh, so you can find the Girls System online at our website at www.girlsystemmentorship. And there's two M's, so system with an M and then another M for mentorship.com. And then you can also find us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page. We're also on on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Um, and if you wanted to shoot me a message directly, you can email me at hong period k at queensu.ca. And I love to hear from, from anybody who has any ideas or is passionate about joining or just wants to hear more about the organization. Well, thank you so much, Catherine, for chatting with me tonight. Thank you so much for having me. It was really, really fun.